Hey guys, welcome to the latest episode of the 4040 Vision podcast, the ultimate sports history pod where hindsight is 4040. We're so excited to jump into today's episode, but before we do, here's a quick word from one of our sponsors. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the 4040 Vision podcast. I'm your host, Khaled Abdallah, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Osama Dahoud. What's up, man? How are you? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling culture. I'm feeling very cultured today. All right. As you can see, I am wearing my uh, Miami Heat uh, fitted, so I think we might be on opposite sides of in terms of picks, but I think we do have to respect what the what the Heat have done. So anyway, on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the NBA Finals. So we'll be talking about uh, each team's journey to get here, and then, of course, we'll talk about some of the historical implications of what we're going to be seeing in the Finals and what we've seen leading up to the Finals. And we'll wrap up with some predictions. I know we're not generally in the business of predictions, but you can't do an NBA finals podcast without talking about who you think will win. So I'll start with, with the Denver nuggets. So one of the big topics this week was um, the fact that some folks have said that the nuggets are not that interesting of a team. How do you feel about that? And do you feel like they've been getting sufficient media coverage? It's a weird question. I think Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated was the one that sparked this and said that they're not interesting. That's why I don't cover them that much. And it's uh, it's kind of a it's based on impressions and what they think the people want. It's based on market. I think there was like a Bleacher Report uh, tweeter, like a social media coordinator for Bleacher Report that was asked, hey, why do you post so many? And it wasn't Austin Reeves, but it was like an Austin Reeves type that played for the Lakers and he was like, well, cause he's kind of good and he plays for the Lakers. So that these get the most impressions and I'm measured on impressions. So I'm sure, you know, Rohan Nankarni and Chris Mannix are both sports illustrated guys that write about the Lakers a lot. And he picked the Lakers to, to win. So he has uh, a, a lot, he had a lot of reason to, to want to write about the Lakers and for them to win and to have a bias in covering them for, as a journalist. Now he doesn't, not a, it's probably a Celtics fan or something, but nonetheless, I, that's a long way of saying the Nuggets are, I guess they don't really do anything that warrants, wow, what a dramatic team. Their best player, uh, one of their best players didn't punch one of the role players before the season started because Jokic doesn't, English isn't his first language. Um, he doesn't, doesn't really provide any quotes. He just kind of wants to win and he's really great. And it's kind of San Antonio Spursy, where it's just like droning greatness. But I think that's just how it's always been in sports. If you think of anyone that's been covered, how well were they covered? Did we I can't help but bring up the Pistons in 2004. If it wasn't for, sure, for Cha- sure. Chauncey Billups in a nice fancy pinstripe suit and press conferences, what do you remember about them? Defense, toughness. Well, but yeah, sorry. I mean, From I know what you. I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in terms of personalities, probably the most interesting person on that that Pistons team was Rasheed Wallace. I think he was by far the most interesting, but the rest of the guys uh, were very Jokic-like, and it's it's really uh, relevant that you brought up the San Antonio Spurs because in terms of personality and the way he carries himself on and off the court, Jokic is very much a Tim Duncan replicate, right? He's pretty stoic for the most part, doesn't like to do interviews, just kicks your ass on the court. He's he's pretty demonstrative on the court, which Tim Duncan was as well with his, you know, his big bug eyes whenever he'd get a bad call and things like that. But 
in general, he just he just doesn't like to do interviews. He just wants to do his business. I mean, but I think I think it's kind of it was lazy. It was a lazy take from Chris Mannix. I think from a lot of people when they say, "Oh, the Nuggets aren't that interesting." It's like these this team is only as interesting as you make it, right? Because there's there's so much depth to this team. There's so many layers, right? Jokic being this second round pick. I know it's covered ad nauseum that he was drafted during a Taco Bell commercial and all that, but it's a great story. He's the greatest second round pick of all time. You have Jamal Murray coming off a catastrophic knee injury. He's out for two years, comes back, and he's not just playing well, he's dominating. And then you have uh, Michael Porter Jr., so the, the third member of the big three, who I think for a lot of people, myself included, we didn't know if this guy was going to have like a viable NBA career because of his back injuries, because of his attitude maybe. And he's turned himself into a more than serviceable defensive player and a great offensive player. So there's a lot of layers here, man. Mike Malone, like Michael, I don't want to disrespect him, call him Mike. (laughs) (laughs) He's been around forever and he's been a great assistant. And I think the coolest thing about this team is that it was built organically, right? They drafted all these guys. They added some key pieces here and there, but for the most part, you know, it's, I think a lot of people have made the parallels with them in the 2014, 15 warriors where their big three is drafted. Aaron Gordon is kind of that, uh, Iguodala replacement in the sense that, you know, he, they traded for him just like we traded for Iguodala. And then these other pieces were added and it's built this incredible team that I think, you know, obviously was the one seed and is in the finals. So again, I think it was just a lazy take to say that they're not that interesting. Completely agree. They're balling right now and they're absolutely worth covering. And it's very exciting, exciting that they're in the finals. Did you pick them to make, to win the final or not win the finals, make the finals? At some point, I realized that there hasn't been a team playing better all year. Like you watch their playoff games and they're in, even the games they lost, they're in every game. They're not an amazing defensive team, but they make the other team work so much because of the stuff they run. It's exhausting to play them. Like Minnesota took them to OT and Phoenix had to really work to get those two wins. Booker and Durant were putting up like 80 points combined in each of these wins or something crazy. So at, at some point I realized like the Warriors are not too, they're too inconsistent. They're not going to beat this team. And, you know, the Lakers were just like the Warriors. They kind of stumbled into the postseason. You see a team like Denver not getting blown out. Their best player is playing out of his mind in the postseason. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I picked them in each of the series. I mean, the one against the Lakers, I was, of course, a little bit biased because I'm a big anti-Lakers guy. But I did see the vision. I saw the path that they had to to beating the Lakers. The Suns, I thought they would roll the Suns just because of, of depth and the fact that they, they go 10 deep and the Suns were 7 deep at, at best. So I think a lot of people doubted them. I think it had a lot to do with just the fact that they're the Nuggets. They don't get that much coverage. They're just not known for for winning. And speaking of that, so in terms of their franchise history, so this is obviously their first time ever making the finals. Do you recall any other time when they got close? Because it's it's pretty crazy when I went back and looked at at some of the parallels between this this uh, postseason and some of their past postseasons when they've gotten to the conference finals. I want to say they got close in the late 2010s. Was it one of the the Lakers' most recent runs? Either late early 2000s or late 2000s. Yeah, 2009 was yeah, one of the conference seasons. finals, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's the only so they, one I remember. Okay. 
So, well, this is, it's funny that you say that because, <laughs> so they've been to the Western Conference Finals three times. In 1985, they lost to the Showtime Lakers in five. The Lakers went on to win the title. 2009, they lost to the Kobe Gasol Lakers in six. They went on to win the title. 2020, <laughs> it's funny that you don't even remember this because this was the bubble. Right, right, right. I was just like <laughs> thinking about bringing it up and I'm just like overlooking other matchups. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know how I feel about the bubble. But anyway, they lose to the Le- LeBron AD Lakers in five in the bubble. And of course, the Lakers go on to win the title. So it was pretty funny that there's, you know, poetic maybe that they beat the Lakers in four. They sweep them and they have a chance to win the title. And the three other times they've gotten even close to the finals was against the Lakers. So I thought it was a nice piece of uh, whatever, you know, some good good writing from the NBA writers to make it happen this way. Because they could have beaten the Warriors. It could have been the Warriors or the Suns, whoever else in the conference finals. But it had to be the Lakers. They had to beat the big bully and get that monkey off their back. So, but yeah, this is by far the best season in Nuggets history. So uh, who do you think is the best player ever in Nuggets history? Is it Jokic? It has to be Jokic at this point already. Like he's young, but he's a two-time MVP. And he's, to me, he's kind of, he's Hakeem Olajuwon reincarnated with a three-point shot. He, he's not the same uh, defensive monster that Hakeem was, but the playmaking, the shooting, the footwork, he's got all of that. The hook shot, he, he's almost unguardable. And it's really hard to pick another player. You can say Carmelo had a wonderful legacy. And uh, uh, I think, was it Alex English that played for the Nuggets? I think at yep. some point. He was a mm-hmm. great player in NFL history, or NBA history. Sorry, a lot of draft coverage. Uh, I think he's a top 75 player, Alex English, if I'm not mistaken. Jokic, uh, I don't think was included in the NBA top 75, but if you went back-to-back MVPs and probably should have won a third MVP, you are one of the best 75 players of all time. Yeah, the, the third in MVP. Uh, I, I was going to do a pod. I think I'm still going to do a pod on, on that discussion, uh, <laughs> but that's a topic for another day. But so according to basketball reference, uh, there's a player by the name of Dan Isel, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He's number one by win shares. But by VORP, which is value over replacement player, it's uh, Jokic kind of by a mile, Alex English, and then Carmelo is in there as well. And I went and looked at some of the franchise leaderboard in terms of stats. He's up. I think Jokic is already the uh, franchise leader in assists, which is hilarious because he's a center (laughs) technically by trade. Uh, But he's either top five or top eight or 10 in like every other statistical category. He's only, I don't know, 28. So obviously by the time he retires, um, which I think he'll be a nugget for life, he's going to be number one on that with, you know, by a mile. Like he'll be like the Jerry Rice of the Denver Nuggets in terms of stats. Um, And so one, one thing I was thinking about is like, I know you just mentioned the NFL and draft coverage. I was thinking who is the NFL equivalent for the Denver Nuggets. Who do you think off the top of your head? Maybe it's another team that's kind of always in the mix. They have some fun players, but they're a small market. They've never won it all. So when when you think of their NFL equivalent, who do you think it is? Wow. Um, do I do they have to have won a title for this example to or not won a title for this example to work? No, it could be a title from like the, the 60s or 70s. 
So I was thinking the Seattle Seahawks. Um, they're not a big market. They're just on the West Coast, but they've been super competitive. They had like a 10-year run almost where they were in the playoffs or about to make the Super Bowl or in the Super Bowl. It's a little more successful in terms of championship aspirations than the Nuggets, but uh, sim- pretty similar, I would say. Stoic. Uh, their best players are very stoic. Russell Wilson oh. is stoic? I don't know. <laughs> Unless he's not their best player. I don't know. It's um, spicy. <laughs> I was leaning more towards uh, the Vikings or the Chargers, but I think I think the Chargers probably have more – uh like historical players like they have some all-time greats uh junior seau lt etc uh the other one is the vikings right very similar they've never won a title they've been to the super bowl a couple times they've gotten close but they're also a small smallish market compared to some other ones um and they've been around for a long time and they have some great players uh but they've never won at all so i don't know just a something i thought about just to make draw some parallels between the um the two teams or the the two sports. So I think we want to shift gears now to the Miami heat, which, you know, it's, it's unfair to the Denver nuggets, but they are a much more interesting team. than The Denver nuggets, at least their story. It's fair to say, right. I think they're also a really likable team. They've got Jimmy Butler, a bunch of undrafted guys. They've got the great coach, the, the heat culture, all that stuff. They're very culturally relevant. So at, at what point during the, playing the regular season playoffs whatever did you start to believe that the heat could be a finals team <laughs> when when were we supposed to believe that they were going to be a finals team they're awful all year uh, they regressed from the best shooting team in the league last season to the worst shooting team in the league they were lowest in scoring uh last season they were dead last in scoring and they almost they lost their first play in game by like uh, which by double digits they to got a very bad Atlanta Hawks team. <laughs> totally washed by Clint Capella. They could not stop him. And then they almost lost to that Bulls team that three minutes ago they were down and Jimmy Butler went on his own run and, and, and powered them into the eighth seed. And we totally thought it was going to be over in the first round against Milwaukee. Milwaukee had a great season. They won 16 games in a row. They were fantastic. And it was the total opposite. It completely took them to the woodshed. Totally shocking. Very shocking. Reminiscent of the bubble beatdown that gave Milwaukee, uh, to be honest. They swept them in the bubble, right? No, I think it was it was a, it was four one four one. Okay, I think. they at least lost so, one game. Same thing. Yeah, okay. same thing. Yeah, beatdown. The Knicks. I th- I think we were good. I thought it would stop at Boston just because. I mean, Boston was great. They were amazing playoff defense last year. They have more talent. It it you can't help but say, look, that that's the better team. They have the better players. There's all these undrafted guys on Miami. The shit doesn't make sense. But they're so well coached and they have so much toughness. I think what drives that is Jimmy Butler's crazy, and I think we all know that. And these undrafted guys want to prove themselves and they're willing to to prove to this guy that they want to be as crazy as he is and they they emulate that work rate and it's really reflective on the court so i didn't think they were going to do it till they went up 3-0 against boston <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you uh, i will admit i picked against them against milwaukee i thought they were going to get swept because there was nothing to suggest that they could have that they were going to beat Milwaukee. I think 
we can look back and say, I mean, it's not, I don't think we're taking anything away from Miami, but I think if Giannis is healthy, if he's there the whole time, then I think Milwaukee still wins, but it doesn't matter. He was hurt. And if you're not on the court that you can't do anything about it. Um, so all credit to them for beating them. I picked the, the Knicks to beat them. <laughs> I thought, you know, they took advantage of a Milwaukee team that was hurt. And I think, um, you know, but Coach Bud, I guess he was going through his personal tragedy. So all that. I then again, like I said I picked the, the Knicks to beat them. I just thought the, the magic would run out and it didn't. And then, of course, against Boston, I said Boston in seven. So at least I gave them credit enough. I starting to believe a little bit more. And then, of course, when they go up 3-0, I was like, okay, well, I guess it's a wrap. I guess they're going to sweep, especially after what we saw in, in game three. So going into game seven, how much faith did you have in Miami sealing the deal or Boston pulling off the the great upset? I had faith in both of those things happening just because the Heat actually lost three games and was more reflective of their regular season performance where they couldn't shoot. Uh, defense was fine, but they couldn't shoot. And Butler looked a shell of himself a little bit. It looked like we, you and I were texting. It looked like he was out of gas in game six and didn't know if that was going to show up in game seven. But credit to him, he's kind of like an enigma in the playoffs. He just becomes Michael Jordan in the playoffs. I think that's what they needed to beat Milwaukee specifically is him elevating and getting to 40-point triple-doubles to beat them. But the rest of the playoffs, they haven't really needed him to be that guy. It's been the role players that have been tremendous, and we'll get to uh, that, in I'm sure, in a bit. Uh, but Boston, at, yep. at, at, on the flip side, won three straight games also and looked very good doing it. And there's the a little bit of magic starts to settle in when you get a tip shot with a tenth of a second left. Uh, so there was also a lot of that, at, you know, one of the best crowds in basketball. But the Heat pulled it off. They're tough, man. I, I keep doubting them. And going into game seven, I thought, okay, this was Miami's best chance in game six. Boston shot, I don't know, six for 35 or something from three, something, some crazy low number. They still won. Like you said, there's that little bit of magic that trickled in. I thought that Boston would, would roll. Honestly, the way that it worked out for the Heat, where they won by 20, I thought it would be Boston. I thought, again, I, I kept believing in the talent of Boston. And I kept discounting the the grit, the fight, the coaching advantage that that Miami had. I thought Boston had finally figured them out and won you know those three games in a row. So again, I keep doubting them. I'm probably going to doubt them again going into the finals, but I wouldn't put any money on it. That's for sure. So you you mentioned Jimmy as a playoff performer. I do want to touch on that, but before I do, I want to talk about the Heat and their franchise history. Obviously, they've won was it four titles now um, or three whatever it is. I know this obviously isn't their best moment in franchise history. One of those titles is probably the, the 06 one, but is this the most unlikely? I think it's pretty fair to say, right? It's the most unlikely NBA fine, like finals appearance in NBA history. There have been an eight seed once or twice, but I actually looked this up real quick and how unlikely this is. Since the merger, <laughs> okay, the uh, that's what, 70, only, 77? No. 77, yeah. 77, okay. Only eight teams were out of the top three in conference seeding that made the finals. So every team in the finals every season, aside from the Houston Rockets doing it three times, uh, there was a couple of, I think the, the Heat actually in 2020 were the fourth seed. That's the bubble. <laughs> doesn't count. In the, bu- in the bubble, yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't count. Okay. 
Fair enough. Uh, so it, it never happens. The, be- the teams that are the best in their conference in the top three make the finals usually. Uh, the Rockets, strangely enough, were the sixth seed both years they won, <laughs> which is funny. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, how did that happen? <laughs> and they're the lowest sixth seed to win a title. Uh, the lowest seed and they went back to win. back. And right. yes, 90, and they went back to back. The second year they cleared, traded for Drexler to save their season. Anyway, so it, this is the most unlikely. You don't see an eighth seed beat everybody like this with this kind of season they had. It's the, the most surprising finalists in, in the history of the league. So maybe I'm just being annoying, but do you, do you see them as an eight seed? Because I'm seeing that thrown around. I'm like, they're not really an eight seed. I mean, they played 82 games and they were the seven seed. It's just because of the play in their eight seed. It's it's semantics, I know, but I don't know how you feel about that. But it's I'm just I'm always quick to dismiss the play in because I think it's uh, unnecessary. It's fun to watch, but I don't think it's a necessary part of the season. So to me, they're a seven seed. But so, do you agree or no? I mean, they were technically the seven seed through the regular season, but semantics. The way they played was like an eight seed. They shot like shit the whole year. That's a, that's, an eight, that's eight seed behavior in the yeah, regular exactly. season. That's like ten seed behavior, basically. <laughs> Uh, so again, we want to get back to, to Jimmy being a playoff performer and I have a couple crazy stats, but before we do that, I have kind of a hot takey type question for you. Mm-hmm. Has Jimmy Butler surpassed LeBron James as a playoff performer <laughs> for the Miami heat, just for the Miami heat, not for any other team. Not in general. Again, this is the hot take canon that we're preparing here. You can totally dismiss the question. It's up to you. But I just wanted to throw this one at you. Next. Um, yeah, that's not, not, has not surpassed LeBron James. He's had some, some big games. But LeBron James he won them a Game 7 at San Antonio with a Hall of Fame performance. Uh, that, that alone, uh, with not even Game 6 at Boston. Which Jimmy Maggi had a great Game 6 at Boston last season. In his own right, LeBron was amazing from Miami. His 2012 season is one of the best seasons ever played in basketball. Okay. I respect the the level-headed response to my, my crazy question. It's blasphemous. Unbelievable. <laughs> the next question, is he the most confounding player ever? Is he the is there ever been, to your to your knowledge, your memory, a player that goes from that's that's so clearly a 16 game player that lifts his game and his energy and everything else like that from the regular season to the playoffs. I know it's a very subjective question, but what do you think? I think in terms of appearance, Jokic is the most confounding player I've ever seen because he looks like a loaf of bread, uh, but he's a magician. Jimmy Butler, uh, I would say is a is a close second in terms well, not in looks, in terms of just him, Jimmy is confounding because regular season yeah he you know he skates his way through he's a, a bit hobbled a lot because of his physical style of play and then yeah 16 games come around and he's unstoppable and it's kind of a weird style of play too right he's kind of Dwayne Wade-ish where he can't shoot the three ball that well he's so strong he gets to the foul line a lot which is an advantage for him he gets to the foul line like eight nine times a game which is probably top three in the league after maybe uh, Joel Embiid and James Harden or, or something like that. So incredibly confounding that he gets these big performances scoring two-pointers and, and ones and shooting free throws. And he looks like he does it pretty damn easily too. That's also he, the strange part. He's, 
covered very well, long contested twos. Uh, they did a good job pointing out in game seven, he gets two feet in the paint a lot because he likes to bait guys into pump fakes, which is also very Dwayne Wadey. It's funny that they share these parallels having played for the Heat. Um, but yeah, it's very confounding. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm share a couple stats before I do. I think one thing that I really respect about his game is it's similar to to Giannis. You talked about drawing fouls and that being a huge advantage in the playoffs. I think we've seen there's a lot of guys that are grifters, right? The Trey Youngs, the James Hardens, the Luka Doncic, where they're drawing a lot of contact and they're drawing fouls in the regular season, but a lot of it is it's grifting, right? You're you're selling the contact, you're doing that, where opposed to Jimmy Butler and Giannis, they're getting calls just because of their sheer physicality. And a lot of other guys who are, you know, not just drawing contact, contact, but creating that contact, I think most of these guys will wear down. But because of how strong he is, how strong him and, and both Giannis are, is that it becomes an advantage for them. It's almost like Derrick Henry in the fourth quarter. It's like, you're going to wear down. I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to keep drawing these fouls. Which was why one of the one reasons I was so bummed out by the the three that he shot last year in Game Seven, the the almost game winner, was that I think they were down one at the time, or even if they were down two, he had a chance to drive against Al Horford, and if he does, he even if he doesn't score, he's drawing that contact and he's probably hitting those free throws because he's ice cold, and it was just a bummer that he he went that route. But two stats for you, or a couple stats for you. Uh, that showed the difference between Jimmy Butler as a regular season performer and as a playoff performer. So in his, I think, what, three years with Miami, in the regular season, he averages 21-6-6 on 50-26-85 shooting splits. So he's shooting 26% from three, which is awful, (laughs) right? That's well (laughs) below the league average. In the playoffs, he is averaging, I think this is their third playoff run, 25 Six and five and a half. So his assists and rebounds the same. His scoring average goes up four points in the playoffs. And his shooting percentages, 48, 33, 83. So his shooting, his shooting percentage from three goes from 26 to 33, which is about the league average. So again, he's not a great three-point shooter, but in the playoffs, he is. He's a pretty good one. And you expect him to make those threes, which I think is a big difference. And one other thing I, I thought was just absolutely bonkers. In his entire career, in the regular season, he has eight 40-plus point regular season games. All of those came with Chicago, not a single one with Miami. However, in the playoffs with Miami, he has eight 40-plus point games and one 50-plus point game, which came earlier this year. So I don't know what you make of those, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. It's it's wild, man, to the fact that he just turns in. And this is what you want, to be honest, out of your stars, right, when it matters the most to just flip a switch. It's funny that in the regular season, he's kind of there. He's an effort guy. He gets a lot of steals. He's looking to be to pass the ball and get his teammates involved, which you, know, you got to respect that about him. He does play the game the right way, too, for a guy who is ultra competitive and does like to uh, go into clutch mode. He's still a pretty great playmaker. That's that's what you want to see out of the top guys in the game. It, it's fascinating that on Chicago, he was such a, a dominant player in the regular season. I think that that was playing for Tom Thibodeau, who was 
probably trying to kill him uh, a couple of times, playing him every single minute uh, of every game. Especially that, remember that 2015 playoff season against the Cavs? I, I think I was yelling at the television, you're trying to kill him. It was so asinine. He was playing every minute. That's the Thibodeau, <laughs> that's the trademark. That's just what yeah, you could with his. His, I think if you stand close enough to Doc Rivers, you start to lose your voice. Like play defense, Jimmy. Um, (laughs) You just start to sound very hoarse. So yeah, it's he's. I think confounding. You put it earlier is just uh, Jimmy confounding Butler. Who is the NFL equivalent to the Miami Heat? Culture Steelers. The Steelers. Steelers is a good one. There's a mystique about them. There's a certain. Professionalism that you expect from that team. Good organization, like historically always competitive. They've had a lot of great players play for them. That was an that was an easy. I had some time to think about it. I figured you'd ask me this after the Nuggets question. Yeah, they're it's 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 Pat Riley, like an amazing executive. Always the the culture there, incredible. Yeah, I was thinking Steelers or Patriots. There's the Bill Belichick, uh, Pat Riley parallel. Um, you know, they had one of the goats on the on the Heat, but I think the big thing is there's a professionalism that you expect from them. There's the the Patriot way. You know, do your job. The NBA equivalent is Miami. You know, Heat culture, which uh, a lot of people have made a lot of jokes about over the years. But I think after this year, regardless of how the finals play out, um, that that's probably dead. So. You mentioned earlier you were talking about role players stepping up. Um, I think that probably the best role player undrafted guy in the previous round was Caleb Martin, who probably should have won the the MVP, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> if, well, if Reggie Miller wasn't a liar, I think he would have won it. Reggie Miller, during the broadcast, made a case that oh, Caleb Martin should be the MVP, Stan. And then the votes came out and Reggie Miller voted for Jimmy Butler. I didn't even know that. That's hilarious. The, but it's very, the, very on brand for Reggie. He was the swing vote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So aside from uh, Caleb Martin, there's been a slew of other guys on the Heat. But who are some other role players throughout the years that you remember stepping up and be going from role players to stars in, in some other playoff runs? For Miami specifically? No, just in general. Yeah, I wrote down two that I thought were significant. And they just so happened to be from the same season. Shane Battier uh, in the 2013 playoffs where they beat the Spurs, uh, he raised his three-point shooting from 43% in the regular season to 53% in the postseason. So he became a lights-out shooter in the playoffs. I think in that game seven, he made like five three-pointers. He was awesome that whole playoffs. And who was the other one you said you wrote down to? Uh, yes, Danny Green in the same playoffs. On the other side with the Spurs, uh, he increased his three-point shooting from 42.9 to 48%. And I think he had hit a record for made threes in the finals. It was like 27 made threes by a player in the finals. So I thought that those were two guys that were relatively bench guys. I think Danny Green had been cut a couple of times, hovering around the league, and then he nearly won San Antonio the final. So those were two guys that stood out to me when I was trying to find statistical anomalies. There's some other great Derek Fisher uh, was a big playoff performer. Robert Ory wasn't exactly uh, a numbers guy, but he had a lot of big moments in the playoffs as a role player. 
Um, so th- those are a few guys that that's st- that have stuck out to me. One other guy for me, uh, I don't know if he was a uh, he wasn't a bench guy, but it was Fred Van Vliet. If you remember in 2019, there was the he wasn't doing so hot, and then halfway through the Milwaukee series, I believe he had a kid, and he just became basically like 2016 Steph Curry. He just he couldn't miss uh, at some point, and of course he was a big part of them beating the Warriors in the finals. If he doesn't play the way he does, if he doesn't shoot the way that he shoots, they're definitely not winning the finals. So um, were there some other, so we already talked about surprise, surprise finalists and the fact that, you know, the heat are the lowest seed since 1999 to make the NBA finals. I think the last ones were uh, the Knicks uh, as an eight seed, but that was the strike shortened season. They only played, I think 50 games. So maybe they end up being the four seed or something, but are there any surprise champions? So if the Warriors, sorry, if the if the Heat end up winning the finals, they'll definitely be the lowest seed to ever win. But are, are there some other surprise finalists that, that you thought of or that you remember in recent history? Yeah, the, the Warriors, surprisingly enough, 1974-75, uh, they were, I think Rick Barry just powered them through. They were not expected to win that playoffs. And they almost won the following season. And Rick Barry is accused of throwing that game because there was something he didn't like. I don't remember. And he denies it completely. He blames it on a completely different play where one of his teammates, uh, he missed them on a, on a pick and roll or, or something like that. Uh, Rick, Barry, Rick Barry, clinically disagreeable, if you've ever heard him speak. Uh, yeah, he's very, not, not a very nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> Great player, not a nice guy. <laughs> uh, definitely the Rockets going uh, as, as a six, maybe one of those years as a six seed. Um I think the Hall of Famer might be the Pistons in 2004. They didn't have any all-stars. They were just a well-oiled machine playing defense. Those are what I could think of. Yeah, and I think the uh, – not sorry, not the Rockets. The uh, the Pistons, what made it even more unlikely was the opponent that they were playing. It was the the Shaq, Kobe, Gary Payton, uh, Carl Malone. I forgot who else was on that team, but those four enough um, – we're on those like that Lakers team, and I believe they won in five, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, they took them to the woodshed. Yeah, Shaq was kind of hurt, but they still kind of stumbled their way to the finals, and the Pistons were more than ready to to beat them up. Yeah, they're the well-oiled machine with, uh, you know, probably their best players. I don't know, maybe Rip Hamilton, maybe Chauncey Billups, but for the most part, it was a team that was better than some of their parts, and. They the next year they still you know they made the finals the following year they didn't win they lost in seven to the Spurs but it showed that they weren't just a one off fluke type team so let's let's shift gears we've been talking about the past let's talk about the future so how do you see this series playing out what are some of the key matchups that you're looking for I don't want to go hot takey <laughs> but how do you see this playing out I think it's how the Nuggets handled Miami Heat zone which, you know, they're just basically daring everyone to shoot the lights out. Um, And you could get easy shots in the paint. The Celtics couldn't take advantage of that. Long twos. I know it's more inefficient, but they just, you saw Tatum brick a bunch of those in game seven, game six too, for that matter. Yeah, that was the part about Boston that was weird, unprepared. I think the Nuggets will be way more prepared. They have players that I think are more disciplined. They're in terms of coaching, they're very disciplined. They have a playmaker that can dissect a defense. So it'll be interesting to see how Miami responds. Jokic will try to spread the floor. Bam isn't an AD type where 
Uh, he's a complete monster in the paint. I think they'll have an easier time scoring in different ways on the Heat. So I think it'll come down to the zone. And on Miami's side, I mean, they were shooting unbelievably this whole playoffs. Can they keep it up is the question. The, the Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, who became, I don't know, <laughs> it was one of the best six, seven wings in the league in, in that game seven. It was incredible. He looked like Paul George out there or something. It was crazy. Yeah, he's like running baseline, turn around, fade away, one-legged jumper. Just like, well, who is this guy? Um <laughs> that's what it'll be. Butler will be great. Great players are always going to be great. We know they'll be well coached. Will the shooting continue? That's the question. Because the Nuggets are going to be mm-hmm. an offensive force. Yeah, that's the great outlier. And uh, I was looking at some stats. I know regular season is not an indicator of postseason success, obviously, as we've seen with the Miami Heat. But I believe the Nuggets are 6-0 and in their last uh, six games against the Heat. The Heat have not won in Denver. Obviously, they don't play that often. They're in different conferences and such, but they haven't won in Denver since 2016. I don't know how deeply you look into that. Uh, what I do know is I, I'm, I'm leaning Nuggets. I think it's I think it's going to be a longish series. I still think Nuggets in six. Um, I think the size advantage that the Nuggets have is going to prove uh, pretty vital. I mean, the the Celtics could have had a size advantage, but I think Rob Williams was not 100%. Al Horford is. Not not a, quite a shell of himself, but he's he's 37 years old. He's not going to be able to control the series or contribute in the same way that he used to. Um, so, yeah, I think it's the size. The shooting is the great decider for Miami. Like you said, if they can keep it up, if these outlier type guys, if Duncan Robinson can still hit shots, Max Struess, all these dudes, I think they'll be able to win a couple games. But I think ultimately it usually comes down to who the best player in the series is, and I think – Jimmy Butler's still going to be great, but I think Denver has a lot of bodies they can throw at him. You can throw KCP, Aaron Gordon, uh, Jeff Green. You can just throw a bunch of guys at him, make him work hard, and I don't think Miami has that same uh, ability, right? I mean, what's Kevin Love going to do? Cody Zeller, all these guys. I mean, Bam is going to try, but I think he has a massive size disadvantage, unlike AD. So I think ultimately it's going to be the size of Denver, and just Jokic being the best player that's going to going to decide this series for them. So any final thoughts on either of these teams? Any shout-outs you want to give? I mean, shout-out to Pat Riley, who's been in, what was it, 27% of all NBA finals or something like that? Yeah, as a player, coach, GM, et cetera, it's like 25 or 27% of all NBA finals, which is just an absurd, absurd yeah. number. He's a really important figure in NBA history on how he was he was good as he I don't know if he was good as a player but he was successful and as a coach and a GM you read the Showtime Lakers story and uh even Blood in the Garden a great New York Knicks story and you it's reflected in how this heat team plays we're going to work harder than everyone else we're going to work out and exercise to the bone we're going to be the most conditioned the most disciplined team every season. I remember a great story by Dion Waiters in the Players' Tribune when he had a career year, uh, and they paid him for it, stupidly, but they paid him for it. And he said, I'd never worked out so hard in my life. They told me, we're going to get you in the best shape of your life. And he worked out so hard, he vomited and did not know he could work out that hard. Uh, So it's a testament to Pat Riley and his greatness 
and his uh, his his basketball mind and being able to find players and coaches. It, he's incredible. Was it you that told us the story about Jermaine O'Neal when he was on the when he was on the Heat? Yeah, Jermaine O'Neal had an yeah. opportunity to join the Miami Heat when he was still a good player, and he's like, you know what? They're going to make in his me... late thirties, right? Was he in his late thirties? Maybe. Yeah, maybe he had a chance like his... to win a title. Maybe it was a ring chasing opportunity then. The LeBron, maybe it was the LeBron D Wade Bosch Heat. Maybe it was that. Could have been, yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I love eating Oreos. I'm not trying to go work for 1% body fat. No thanks. I'll go play somewhere else. Yeah. He said something along the lines of, you know, I joined the Heat or I was going to join the Heat. And I went home and I looked in my pantry and I saw a box of Oreos and I was like, I can't eat these. And he's like, wait, I'm a grown ass man. Nobody can tell me if I can't (laughs) eat Oreos or not. And then I think he decided to retire because. I think his last professional years with the Warriors, he was still pretty good. He's not, uh, he wasn't at his peak, obviously, but still a good player. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think one of the big conversations in the playoffs was that you know the the ratings and no one wants to see the Heat versus the Nuggets. Um, and I don't want to sound like a hipster NBA fan, but I think the hipster NBA fans, the true basketball fans, were watching this, these playoffs, and I think this is the series that we wanted. Right. These are the two they've been the two best teams in the playoffs by far, the two most well coached teams. You know, neither of these teams is going to have a huge coaching, you know, advantage or disadvantage like Eric Spolster taking Joe Missoula to the to, to school every game. So I think it's going to be a great series regardless. I'm praying, please give us seven games of this because I think we deserve it. And it's it's just been so much fun watching these teams come together the different journeys that they took, the different players that have, have just, you know, exceeded all expectations and guys that have finally met expectations, you know, with, jo- with Jokic, with the two MVPs, the big talk was when is he going to deliver in the playoffs and he's finally doing it. So I think regardless of who wins, I think this is both a huge legacy builder for both these guys, Jimmy Butler and, and Jokic and both of these teams. And at the end of the day, I just hope we get a great series. So Absolutely. These are the two teams that played like they gave the shit the most and they they uh they've been rewarded for it i can't wait i can't wait i didn't give my prediction nuggets and six oh, as well yeah, not ahead. very anticlimactic <laughs> but uh they, they've been the best team all season and I, I think that they're gonna be rewarded there's not a bad champion in this scenario jimmy butler you can't help but root for the guy for his grit and determination and then the nuggets win their first title who doesn't want to see a team do that it's awesome yeah, I think from a human interest perspective, um, I'm, I'll be rooting for the Nuggets because, again, first title, this franchise that's been around for 60 years finally gets that title that they've been chasing for so long. And Jokic finally ascends from, you know, a great regular season player to one of the all-time greats. Do you think Jokic gives us a quotable or do you think the most – in terms of the muscles he's going to exercise in his face, I'll just say, yeah, good job, everyone. Good job. And that's it. Like, that's it. Thanks. <laughs> go home. Yeah, he's, ball, he's not home. giving us a, a LeBron like, Cleveland, this is for you. He's not giving us one of those. He's just <laughs> – he's probably not even going to say anything. He might shout out, uh, you know, Serbia, his homies, whatever. He's going to speak his native language. He'll probably just hug his brothers and, and leave. I don't, I'm not expecting much from him regardless of how this plays out. So – That's it for our show. Thank you guys for checking us out. Make sure to uh, follow, like, and subscribe. Leave us a review wherever you find your podcasts. And you can find us on just about every social media platform at 4040 Vision Pod. Thanks, y'all. Peace out.